Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done By Law, brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Good evening and welcome to Done By Law on 3CR 855 AM and welcome to those listening via 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. It's 6.01 and you're here with Beth King, Matt Wilson and Sarah DeMotta. Tonight we'll hear an update from Matt on concerning developments this past week in Victoria's criminal justice system, after which we'll be chatting with Stan Winford, he's the chair of the Mental Health Legal Centre, about privacy concerns surrounding the federal government's My Health Record and the impact this will have on the centre's clients living with mental illness. So we'll start with a criminal justice update from Matt Wilson. Matt, hi, how are you? Good, thanks, Beth. Nice to join you by phone. Uh, I thought that we might uh, benefit from a quick chat about the um, uh, the Justice Legislation and Amendment Unlawful Association and Criminal Appeals Bill, which was last before the Legislative Assembly on the 25th of July. I understand it's passed through that lower house um, and will probably pass the Legislative Council very soon. Given the breadth of the reforms, we might focus, and this, to be honest, is the area that I've got some awareness of now, having had a look at it, uh, on the appeals process, which very strange that this seems to be included within a broader bill bringing in new criminal provisions. So this looks at the process for appealing an outcome from a matter, a criminal matter dealt with in the Magistrates' Court in Victoria. So just to give you an idea of the kind of material that's going through the Parliament at the moment, we're talking about legislation that's about 70 pages long, outlining a complicated set of procedures that will severely restrict access to appeals in relation to criminal matters dealt with initially at either the Magistrates or the Children's Court. And what does this mean for the accused in those matters? Well, the biggest change, uh, I think, is to the overall process. Currently, we have a uh, de novo appeal process from the Magistrates' Court, and that essentially means starting from the beginning. That's what de novo means. So most criminal matters, 90% of criminal matters in Victoria are finalised at the Magistrates' Court, and that's about uh, around about 200,000 cases a year. Many of those cases involve charges that people are entitled to have ultimately determined before a jury at the county court, but the Magistrates' Court deals with these matters by allowing people to consent to the jurisdiction of the Magistrates' Court, and then a magistrate can hear the charges and determine guilt or innocence otherwise. So one of the checks on that system is ensuring that people have an automatic right to have their matters reconsidered at the county court and on that starting from the beginning basis. So you don't need to have appeal grounds, for instance, in the decisions or errors of law made by the magistrate or otherwise to justify a second chance of your outcome being considered. Currently, there's pretty much two pathways or two aspects to a criminal outcome that you would appeal and people can either appeal the sentence alone, so accept the finding of 
guilt, um, which might be established by way of a plea or a trial, or they can appeal the sentence and the conviction itself, which is effectively a retrial. Now, leave to appeal will only be granted in circumstances... Well, there's going to be essentially a requirement that the uh, county court consider whether leave should be granted for the appeal full stop. So the general right to appeal, and this appears to certainly be in relation to appeals against sentence, must be considered to be in the interests of justice and will require the court to consider the circumstances a plea was entered, uh, the time taken to apply and other relevant matters. The court, in relation to appeals generally, will also now have the power to strike out an appeal without reasonable prospects of success. That seems like it's creating an additional barrier to people who might want to get their matters reheard. Yeah, it's creating several barriers and it's quite a complicated test that breaks down a number of further stages to be uh, considered um, and and different processes relating to to the different uh, types of appeals against either conviction or sentence. There are also major changes in relation to the evidence that can be considered and this is really where we're seeing a uh, radical overhaul and a a, a complete uh, abandonment of the de novo process. So instead of matters being considered afresh, the court must now consider the um, evidence that was given in the magistrate's court, the reasons given by the magistrate and uh, new evidence can only be admitted under restrictive circumstances. So that's if it's in the interest of justice to do so and the evidence is considered substantially relevant um, to a fact in issue. Right. And I mean, so that sounds like it's making it much harder for people who may have had an unfavourable outcome at the magistrate's court to get that matter reheard in a higher court. What does this Mm -hmm. mean for access to justice and these rights to procedural fairness in Victoria? Uh, Well, look, I think it's a grave concern. I'm aware of no community consultation in relation to these changes. It's a change in the fundamental rights of all Victorians. Uh, Any Victorian who appears before the magistrate's court in relation to an indictable matter will now have a substantially less recourse to challenge an unjust outcome. As uh, anyone who works in uh, in magistrate's court knows, they're heavily overloaded with uh, significant caseloads. There's very little time for matters to be dealt with. In many cases, people have um, not received legal advice. Access to legal aid is restricted to circumstances where it's been established before a matter proceeds that there'll be uh, a chance of an imprisonment sentence. And in those cases as well, you know, people need to be uh, eligible on the basis of their financial circumstances for legal aid. So a lot of self-represented people are... I think, going to be placed in jeopardy of uh, having sentences that are you know, in conflict with justice and, uh, yeah, the opportunity to have those matters reconsidered now extremely curtailed. I should say, in relation to the community consultation, and as I said, I, I found it very difficult to find much information about these changes at all, which is shocking considering how significant they are. But I can say that the changes are at odds with findings of report by the Victorian Law Reform Committee, who, after consultation with stakeholders and consideration of other appeal systems in Australia, determined that the existing right of a de novo appeal to the county court from conviction or sentence to the magistrate's court should be left unchanged. Similarly, the Law Institute of Victoria has indicated in a letter to the State Attorney-General that this effectively amounts to the loss of a safety net that applies in our justice system and those without financial resources will be significantly disadvantaged. So you mentioned at the start that this is a bill that is now potentially before the Upper House in Victoria. What is it that people who are concerned can do about this issue at the moment? 
I think people should be contacting their local state members of parliament. Um, I think uh, that they should be expressing their concerns and urging those representatives to call upon the government to reconsider this bill that uh, they... I mean, we can only hope. I feel a sense of... Uh, I don't know how to put it, uh, but, but to be honest, I'm quite shocked with the amount of law and order legislation that's rushing through the parliament at the moment. So hopefully the government's got time to stop and think about this particular bill. And I think that the system we have in Victoria is a robust system. Whilst note the Attorney-General points to the experiences of uh, victims with matters going through the courts a second time, I think that some open disclosure and consideration of just how many matters are leading to appeals and, and the deficiencies in that system, all the injustices arising from that, I'd really like to see the statistics that back it up. As I said, the Law Reform Commission has come to a different conclusion. The Law Institute is extremely concerned about these changes and those concerns should be addressed publicly. Great. Thanks so much, Matt. We really appreciate it. That was Matt Wilson speaking about the removal of de novo criminal appeals to the county court in Victoria, currently going before the upper house. Welcome back to Done By Law on 3CR 8.55am. You were listening to Archie Roach's No, No, No. The federal government's recent decision to change Australia's national digital health record database, My Health Record, from an opt-in to opt-out system has raised concerns about the lack of legal safeguards to prevent this information being shared without our consent. My Health Record will hold all our medical information, including details of our medical conditions and treatments, medicine details, allergies and test or scan results in one place. It can be accessed by healthcare providers like doctors, specialists and hospital staff to assist them in providing coordinated care. However, concerningly, My Health Record is also accessible by Centrelink Medicare, the Taxation Office, the Australian Federal Police and State Police Forces, the Courts and the Department of Home Affairs, among others. Under Section 70 of the Health Records Act, the Australian Digital Health Agency the centralised government agency responsible for My Health Record is authorised to hand over sensitive information to authorities without the need for a warrant or court order when it reasonably believes it is necessary to investigate or prosecute a crime, to counter seriously improper conduct or to protect the public revenue. These disclosures have the potential to be of particular detriment to those members of our community experiencing stigmatised health issues such as mental illness who may already face vulnerability and criminalisation as a result of that illness. Tonight we are joined by Stan Winford, Chair of Victoria's Mental Health Legal Centre, to discuss the potential impact of My Health Record on their clients. Welcome, Stan. Thanks. Great to be with you. Stan, could you just start by maybe telling us a little bit about the Mental Health Legal Centre, um, your clients and the work that you do? Sure. Um, So the Mental Health Legal Centre works with people who experience mental illness and legal issues as well. So we've got a range of programs that include a night telephone advice service that supports uh, people with general inquiries across the state. We've got a day service which represents people uh, and assists them when they appear before the Mental Health Tribunal in relation to orders uh, about their treatment. And we've got a number of projects that, for example, help people write advanced statements to talk about how they wish to be treated when they're unwell. Uh, And we've got another project which works with Bolton Clark, the former Royal District Nursing Service uh, Homeless Persons Project, to provide 
outreach league with it to people with mental health issues who are homeless, and also um, a service called Inside Access, which visits women at the Danefield Frost Centre and provides civil legal assistance. And all of that's done uh, in a multidisciplinary way, so we've got social workers and we get support from financial counsellors and so on to address all the issues that people face. Right. And I know that your clients are people that are often living with mental illness. I mean, what concerns do you have about the potential sharing of sensitive information contained in a person's My Health record uh, in terms of its impact on, on your clients? Well, it's a really important issue for our clients. This one, I'm, I'm glad that you're talking about it tonight because um, mental illness, and I think you mentioned this in your introduction, uh, is a stigmatised health condition uh, and it shouldn't be, but Unfortunately, people treat people with mental illness differently uh, and they discriminate against them and they uh, express prejudice against them. So, um, you know, it's, it's interesting today or in the last couple of days, there's been plenty of stories about, you know, footballers having physical injuries and so on, but um, it's much rarer to hear publicly about people's mental health. And that's because people aren't comfortable discussing it because they know that. Um, they'll probably be treated differently uh, if people are aware that they have uh, a mental health condition. And unfortunately, it's even people in the health sector who should know better that do treat people differently um, when they know that they've been receiving mental health treatment. Um, and, you know, broadly, this is similar to what, what we've seen with um, other issues like substance use disorders, HIV and Hep C. So it's really sensitive information and... Therefore, we are concerned that it would be uh, disclosed inappropriately. And for our clients, um, this really is health information and, and it seems extraordinary that it should be available for use not related to health reasons. And that's precisely what the legislation does. It allows disclosure for a range of reasons that are unrelated to treatment, which include things like protecting the revenue, which is interestingly not defined within the legislation, um, or for seriously improper conduct, which isn't defined either. So, as I said, I think given the role that stigma continues to play, um, people are legitimately uncomfortable about how this information will be accessed and for what purposes. And um, another significant uh, issue with this legislation is that um, no longer does it require a warrant. And um, people should be concerned about what they're hearing because the government's making a lot of noises about the fact that um, this information will not be disclosed unless a warrant is provided, but that's not what the legislation says at all. So uh, I think we need to look at what the legislation says and rely on that. But just coming back to um, our clients' experiences of this kind of information, how it's treated, um, many of our clients have experienced incorrect information being included in their records. Uh, when facts are misinterpreted and are often incorrect. So um, information that's there can be relied on even when it's not accurate, which is an issue. Um, there's the issue of stigma, uh, which can impact on their ability to obtain general medical treatment. So some uh, of our clients find that uh, general practice doctors are not willing to treat them <coughs> if their records indicate that they've got uh, mental health issues. Um, an issue... The practical issue really for this um, for this new system for our clients is the extent to which, in a sense, it's providing people with a degree of choice, but that also means active management of records um, and it's not necessarily a realistic option for many of our clients who 
uh, you know, our clients are in prison, have no access to uh, the facility to control uh, what's what's online, uh, and uh, many of our clients who are in locked wards and otherwise detained in secure environments um, have extraordinarily limited access to um, managing this kind of information. Um, finally, um, there is this issue of um, an exception for emergency situations. So there is a control uh, provision where you can say you can access your record uh, or who can access your record, but that can be overridden in emergency situations. And many times when there's severe mental health issues, psychosis, that sort of thing, uh, it's perceived as an emergency by clinicians. They would probably then access that information. Um, and broadly, you know, there is a concern too about the way in which government records can be cross-matched and um, we've seen efforts in recent times to, uh, from the government um, to reduce the number of people on disability support pensions to look at one can imagine circumstances in the future when uh, they've been interested in comparing health records with eligibility data maintained by Centrelink. That does sound really concerning. And I guess going back to your clients, I note that the Australian Medical Association's Ethical Guidelines on disclosing medical records say that trust is a vital component of a doctor-patient relationship and patients trust doctors to keep their personal information confidential, including their medical records. I mean, in your opinion, what does all of this mean for people with mental illness and how likely they are to seek assistance? Well, it can't, it can't be a good thing. Um, as you say, trust is absolutely critical uh, for people when they're wanting to disclose private information to professionals, including health practitioners. And many of our clients have had poor experiences with um, hospitals and medical teams. And often the way in which they receive treatment is not, you know, like perhaps going down to the doctor and saying, look, I've got the flu, can I have some treatment? It's often that they're uh, very much um, coerced or feeling as though they've been coerced. Um, and in this context, we do have, uh, unfortunately, the capacity to compel people to be treated against their will under the Mental Health Act 2014. And so um, that uh, sense of um, trust is already a little bit shaky. And I think this type of proposal can uh, and will deepen the feeling of distrust, which many clients already expressed to us. Um, so I think anything that uh, has a tendency to um, deter people from obtaining help when they need it is not a good thing. And uh, measures like this uh, tend to, you know, create fear and will um, add to the concerns that people, some people have, which lead them not to seek help when they really need it for mental health conditions. Definitely. I note that there has been a backlash around privacy concerns surrounding my health record, and rightly so. And in the circumstances, and especially following his confusion over whether warrants were required for their access, Health Minister Greg Hunt has undertaken to meet with heads of the Australian Medical Association and the College of General Practitioners this week to discuss the scheme. What improvements would, would you recommend to make my health record a safer option for your clients? Well... I think there are really two points here. The first is that um, there need to be significant 
safeguards in relation to the privacy concerns that many of our clients would have, um, there needs to be a really close look at who can access this information and for what purposes, uh, and indeed who will be oversighting the release of this information. So without a warrant-based system, there'll be no court oversight of the release of the information. So I think that's a minimum. Um, and I really think, you know, unless there's some clear justification uh, for why this information should be made available to so many other agencies and so on, um, it really it really seems inconsistent to me with a, uh, a piece of legislation that's primarily intended to help uh, keep and maintain records related to someone's health precisely for their treatment. It's not for these other purposes like revenue collection and uh, various other types of uses to which it might be put under this um, under this current legislation. I think it's something that um, some of someone has said is that it's just got to be about health professionals accessing the lines for the patient's benefit and with visible access for patients and no other external agencies accessing the scheme for any reason. And, and I would agree with and support for those who've said this needs to be suspended until a review's been conducted and these types of safeguards are put in place. Right. Um, and in the meantime, the government has made an option available for people to opt out of my health record. I understand from what you've been saying that's not an option that's practically available to a lot of your clients um, for various reasons. But should somebody wish to opt out of my health record, could you just speak us briefly through the process of that, how they sure. do that? Sure. So look, I, I did it this afternoon just to see what it was like. And uh, it's relatively simple for someone like me because I can jump on the internet uh, get to the um, health records website, which you could just Google, uh, and there's a big button that says opt out, um, and you just need to enter your um, name as it appears in your identity documents, um, your date of birth, and to provide some information about your gender and a few other things, and asks you for a reason, but you can decline to provide the reason, um, and you need to enter, I think, at least two of um, some of those key identity documents so your Medicare or your um, passport or your licence number, possibly your DVA card if you're a veteran or an uni card, which I think relates to people who are uh, registered uh, recipients under migration law. So, look, it's not terribly difficult. I think you can also make a phone call and ring, although I've heard that there's been some wait times because um, quite a few people have been trying to opt out. But, you know, working with people in custody and so on, not everyone even has uh, access to uh, identity cards. So often the first thing we do when we go into prison is try and help sort out getting identification for people and for homeless people, uh, that's going to be a big barrier too. So what you might find is that um, you know people who uh, have access and are advantaged with sort of the capacity to use computers and so on will be able to exercise this choice, but for others uh, it'll be a lot more difficult and they'll be swept up and and the opt-out provision is really not an option for them. So I think another uh, another review if it's undertaken, I think an outcome of that should be that it's an opt-in system rather than an opt-out Great. Thanks so much. And should there be any listeners who are interested in seeking assistance from the Mental Health Legal Service, either in relation to this or another issue, how can they get in contact with you? So the best thing would be to call our advice line um, and our free advice line operates Tuesday and Thursday evenings from 6.30 to 8.30. The number's 9629 
double two. That's nine six two nine double four double two, or they can jump online on our website at www.nhlc.org.au. Great. Thanks so much, Stan. We've been talking with Stan Winford, the chair of the Mental Health Legal Centre, about the impact on their clients of privacy concerns surrounding the federal government's My Health Record. We also heard earlier from Matt Wilson in relation to the Andrews government's worrying abolishment of the Genova appeals in criminal cases to the county court. It's just on 6.30 and you've been listening to Done By Law on 3CR 855 AM, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. And stay tuned for Voices of West Papua coming up next. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.